Good evening. Good to be with you. Take your book, turn to page 12. Page 12. We'll be working throughout the course of the next several days through Psalm 63. I've entitled the material Satisfied Soul. This is a group of sermons that I've been working on for 15 years. A thought that has consumed me over, over a long period of time. I want to pray for you, but this is how I'm praying for you. I think there, there, there are four categories of people here. Um, there's more than that, but I'm going to, I'm going to say four. And, and I, don't, I don't think any of you are worse than the others. Okay? Because I've been all four of these groups of people in my life, and I was all... I was one of these four when I was moving through the same period of life you are. So start with the first one. There's those of you who are seeking after the things of God. Now that's varying levels of degrees, but there are those of you who are seeking after the things of God. Number two, there are those of you that are so deeply discouraged by what's going on in your life that you don't even know what to do. And there can be a variety of things causing you to think that way and to feel that way. So some of you are just deeply discouraged. Number three, some of you are indifferent. Maybe the discouragement's been going on so long or the pain's been going on so long that you become indifferent. Or, or you've been so caught up in sin, you have become completely hardened. And things like this just don't matter to you anymore. In fact, you're thinking right now, let's get out of here as quickly as possible. I just, if you're indifferent, I just have a request for you. Don't bother other people while I'm talking. Let them at least have a chance. And number four, you're, you're even further. You're hostile. I don't mean this rude, what I'm going to say. If you're hostile about the things of God, I just want to say this calmly to you. You're at a Christian camp with a group of people they are going to talk about Jesus a lot. Okay? So, so try to calm down and try not to disrupt. Particularly, here's where the hostile people play out, is you destroy small group time. So, so just be careful that you don't translate your hostility into other people. Now, I'm open to talk to any of you personally. I, I'm not just here to speak. I'm here to pastor, to care for you. And I've been all of those people. I was hostile for a very long time, and I could share the reasons why. Uh, and I appreciated people who would calmly listen to me. So with all of you in my mind, I, I want to pray for you before I launch into this material. Father, I, I, I pray for each of these young men and women. You know them. Let's just be honest. Well, we don't even know ourselves, really. We think we do. You know everything about us, and you know exactly what we need. So I pray this simple prayer for everyone, and Lord, I pray they would pray it with me. Lord, meet them at the place of their need, because only you can fulfill it. Only you can satisfy a soul. So I pray that you will satisfy the souls of these young men and women and that they'll look to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, page 12. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. It just simply means this. He was in a really bad place. Either Saul is after him, or likely his own son is trying to kill him and to take his place as the king of Israel. I don't know if there could possibly be a more discouraging thing in the world than your own flesh and blood trying to kill you to take what you have. So he is in a bad place. Verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, before I go any further, I want to deal with another passage of Scripture. So if you've if you got a Bible and you want to look with me, let's turn to Romans. Romans. And he just said, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. Romans chapter 3, verse 11. None is righteous, no, not one, no one understands. No one. What? No one seeks God. Okay, which is it? Now, the conundrums like this is part of what made me hostile when I was your age. Which is it? Do you seek God? I seek you, or no one seeks God. Which is it? I'm not asking you to answer out loud. I'm going to. I'm going to try to unpack that conundrum over the next few days, really tonight. So let's just, let's just start right here with this in your mind to help some of you. There is not one of you on your own who woke up this morning and said, I'm going to seek God. And that was a very distinct sentence that I just said. There's not one of you on your own who woke up this morning and said, I'm going to seek God. So after I became a Christian, and I began to look at what was happening in the church I attended, and when I was in college at the campus ministry I was a part of, things weren't adding up to me. So I carried some of this hostility into my early Christian life because I got aggravated with the people around me. And then somebody handed me this book right here, The Pursuit of God. Here's what it said. I'll never forget reading this. The whole transaction of religious conversion, this is in your book, has been made mechanical and spiritless. Christ has been received without creating any special love for him in the soul of the receiver. <clears throat> the man is saved, but he is not hungry nor thirsty after God. In fact, he is specifically taught to be satisfied and is encouraged to be content with little. I was like, that is what I see. These saved people who could care less about God. It didn't matter at all. Just indifference everywhere. And I'm asking the question, how can that be Christianity? Is that Christianity? I think the Bible's got an answer for it. The answer is no. But there is something distinct that the Bible is teaching. And, and David here is exuding in his life, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Now, there's something really fascinating going on right here. He says, O God, singular, you are my God, plural. Now, the Bible's not teaching and there's multiple gods. The Bible teaches this 
profound mystery called the Trinity. That God is three yet one. And you see it right here. So we're not talking about a God. We're not talking about the God of every religion. In verse 1, we're talking about the God of the Bible. The triune God. Oh God, you are... What does he say? My God. There's a personal relationship going on between David and God Almighty, the triune God. Earnestly, I seek you. So here's the first principle. The thirsty soul seeks the Lord God alone. Alone. He's not one of many gods. He is the only God that we seek. In John 17, 3, it says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ you have sent. All right, let's, let's, let's pick these back up for a minute. Now, there's Bible all in what I'm talking about, but let's pick this back up for a minute. Let's go back to Romans. Now, how many of you got ADD like legit? Oh, you're lying. There's more of us in the room than just me. Only five of us? Boy, you people have normal lives. I expect y'all to be like paying attention to me like nobody's business this week. Five of us in the room with ADD. All right, so when an argument starts in Romans 3, no one understands and no one seeks God. By the time it's got over to chapter 6, I'm lost. So let me just tell you, this argument goes all the way into chapter 8. But in chapter 6, and it's pretty cool because you just double the numbers, double 3 and get to 6, and double 11, you get to what? 22. Now look, in 6.22, what he says here. But now you have been set free from sin. All right, something radicals happen. So the person who doesn't seek God, something radicals happen. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end... The goal is what? Eternal life. Now let's go back to John. Go back to what's in your book. John. And this is eternal life. That what? That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I think a lot of you think about eternal life completely wrong. Thank you, George, for setting it up with Revelation 3. You're not going to heaven to see your grandma or your dog that died. Or whatever it is that you've been told, I can't wait to see you get to heaven to see my grandmother. Now, my grandmother's going to be there, and I'm going to be glad to see my grandmother. But my grandmother's not the person I'm going to be most glad to see. It is God Almighty whom I'm going to know now face to face forever. But here's how eternal life works. Don't miss this. The moment... You are converted. You are saved. You are born again. You know what? You know God. Some radicals happened. A transaction's taken place that is unlike anything in the world. And that's why he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Philippians 3.10 That I may know him and the power of the resurrection. 
So the power of the resurrection, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, is the power that is alive within me through the power of the Holy Spirit. So turn to the next page. Just flip over. Here's my first question. Who or what am I seeking? Who or what am I seeking? You're all seeking something. Every one of you. Every one of you. So I'm just going to be honest. When I was 15, when I went to camp, I was just looking to make out. That was it. That's why some of you are here. I've prayed for you. I have. I'm worried for you. I'm worried for myself. I remember my 15-year-old self. That's all I thought about. All of you are seeking something. Whether it's that, you're after something. There's a trajectory of your life. There's a place you're going. Now, here's what it says in Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils. Now, he's, he's talking about the people who claim to be his people. They claim to follow him. My people have committed two evils. Let's see if you see them. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So what are the two evils? What's the first one? The first one's obvious. They have forsaken me. So it means this. If, this is, if I'm looking toward God, forsaken means this. It's the opposite of repentance. I've turned away from God. Now, I never turn away from God without something else over here. You get this? It's crucial. So this over here is what I've turned to. This is the rest of the verse. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's who God is. And they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. Timothy Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, makes this statement. An idol is something that we cannot live without. Anything can be an idol. Everything has been an idol. Anything can be an idol. Everything has been an idol. All right, let's just, let's just play a little game here for a second. You're not talking about somebody else. Let's just talk about yourself. What do you think's been an idol in your life? Tell, just say it out loud. What's something been? Huh? All right, thank you. Let's, we're just there right off the bat. Here it is. Here is the graven image of your generation. If Matt wanted to create the moment at the bottom of Mount Sinai, he'd take your cell phones for the rest of the week. You would rebel and get another god. You'd probably kill him. That's what they want to do to Moses. I mean, folks, this scares me. I, I, hope, you're, I, I hope that we're not being light here. This is frightening. Can't get it to come up. Has it ever occurred to anybody what, what, the, what the logo for this is? Apple with a what? Have you ever pondered that for a second? Just think about it in terms of the Bible. It's a frightening image for us. I mean, my hair's standing up on my arms right now. I'm not kidding. Here's what happened. In the name of efficiency, an idol has slid right up under our noses. And we're determined this. We can't live without it. You say, well, you're holding one. You have one. There's a difference between holding one and it holding me. 
And that's really the question. That's the question to ask yourself. Anything can be an idol. Everything has been an idol. Here's my challenge for you. Here's my challenge for you of the week. You, you just see how addicted you are to it and how idolatrous it is. Turn it off except for one hour this week, a day. Turn it off. You say, well, I got to check. My, my mom's got to get me. Text your mom. Say, look, I'm going I'm to turn my phone on between 12 and 1 in the afternoon. Now, here's what, here's what I think some of you would be amazed by. If you would set that thing aside this week, something radically different might happen over the course of the next several days. Particularly those of you that are using your phone to sin. Something radical should transpire. But I'll go on. I'm not going to take your phone. I'm not here to be a big bad parent. Okay? It's quiet in the room. See, you can tell. I went from preaching to meddling. It happened. So the thirsty soul seeks the Lord God alone. The thirsty soul seeks the Lord God intensely. Earnestly, I seek you. <laughs> so let's go back to the phone for a minute. Just lose it. Just lose it. Then you'll define the word earnestly, I seek you. All right? That's what <laughs> it's gone. It's like when your dad loses the remote. Does your dad lose his mind? <laughs> Earnestly. He's like, where is it? I had the whole Great Commission team looking for the remote at my house a couple weeks ago. Thing was gone. I thought they hid it from me. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Now look at these two passages also in the Psalm. Psalm 143.6. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Psalm 42, 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, I, I, I wouldn't do this, not because I think people who do it are evil. I just don't think it's a good sport. But uh, there are people in this part of the country and down in the east because of the swamps, they hunt deer with dogs and they chase them. And they chase the deer until the deer run into across these lanes where they shoot at them. And my father, when he was about 12 years old, because he's from uh, Southport area, uh, was on one of these deer hunts, and he was sitting in a stand, and a deer come through out in the opening right in front of him, and the deer's tongue was hanging out of his mouth. You know, as a 12-year-old, something like that really affects you. And, and my dad, who now is a hunter and does it, but he said, I, I couldn't shoot it because I could see that deer was about to die. That's what verse 1 means. As a deer pants for flowing streams. This is not a deer walking through the woods like Bambi, lapping at a little stream. This is a deer that's about to die. So this is the image. Drink or die. Remember where David's at. He's in the wilderness. He's in the desert. He's being pursued by his son Absalom who wants to kill him. He understands this. Drink or die. So here's my question. Am I seeking the Lord with intensity? Um, <clears throat> we have a beagle at home. Now, if you want a pet that's like a dog that's like a cat, then get a beagle. I actually like the beagle. If I walk over and sit down by the beagle, she gets up and moves. 
If I scratch her, she leaves. That's if I want to get rid of her, I just scratch her one time, whoop, she's gone. And then she stands and looks at you like, don't touch me. But you take that dog outside, and she's not on a leash, and she smells another living thing that has walked through our yard. doesn't have to be a rabbit. It can be a bird, a cat, another dog, a raccoon. It doesn't matter. And it could have been 12 hours ago. She smells it. She's gone. She ran halfway through country meadows before I could catch her one day. Because... She was hardwired to hunt and to seek, and that is done with intensity. Now, what the Bible is teaching here is that when we become Christians, our intensity changes. Here's how it's described, Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. So this, this, this really begs another question to me that I just want to throw out there, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. What hungers are overpowering my hunger for God? What hungers are overpowering my hunger for God? The next page, J.D. Greer in his book, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, said, Once God has given you an appetite for Him, you won't need to be forced to seek Him. You couldn't be stopped from seeking him. Your obedience is less about duty and more about delight. You don't seek him because you have to. You seek him because you want to. And what J.D. is describing in his book here, Stop Asking Jesus in in My Heart, he's describing conversion, being born again, not praying the sinner's prayer. He's describing what it means to be saved by God and transformed by the Lord. Now, I'm going to read his quote one more time. Read it with me. Once God has given you an appetite for him, you won't need to be forced to seek him. You couldn't be stopped from seeking him. Your obedience is less about duty and more about delight. Now, if this is not true of you, you need to ask yourself a fundamental question. And I'm not being mean here. I'm being as loving as I can. You need to ask yourself a fundamental question. Have I been born again? Am I a Christian? Because if there's no desire for God in you, I don't think that you can say honestly that you're a Christian. Now, I want to go back. Some of you have been so beat down by life, you may have lost sight of who you are. Okay? But being beat down by life is not an excuse. David was deeply beat down. And he still was seeking the Lord. Third and final point. The thirsty soul seeks the Lord regardless. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. So this is a physical image. So David's in a place. There's no water. I've been to one of the places he hid. It's called En Gedi. It's just a desert. And all of a sudden, you're driving through the desert, and all of a sudden, there's this little row of trees not wider than this building. And they wind up through the mountain. And Getty is up where he hid in a cave, and there's water that's flowing out of the mountain. It's one little small stream coming down out of there. And it's obvious 
when, when you see it. This, this is when, when David's talking about thirst and being in a dry land where there is no water. He's longing for a place like in Getty, but it's a spiritual image too. He, he's longing for the Lord. So he's seeking the Lord here in this difficult place. So here's my question. Am I allowing my circumstances and surroundings to determine my seeking? Now, I've got a twofold question here. So let me read Matthew chapter 6, and then I want to unpack it. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? All right. Watch this. How many dudes in the room bought new clothes? You, not your mama. How many dudes in the room bought clothes for camp? One? All right. Now, watch this. Girls, how many of you bought a piece of new clothes for camp? Raise your hand. There you go. All right? It's the difference between dudes and, girl, and, 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 and girls, man. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Guys, here's what we all pray for you. Though. Take a bath. <laughs> you, know, whether, you know, you didn't need new clothes to pick up a woman, but as long as you stink, she's not talking to you. Okay? Just a little help there. Just a little helping you out. They said the middle school bus, boys bus, was rough this morning on the way back. All right. <laughs> Don't be anxious about what you wear or what you drink. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So just a couple questions out of this. Am I allowing the culture to dictate what I seek? So that's, what, that's what Jesus is getting at here. The culture was saying, here's what you need to wear. Here's what you need to eat. Here's what you need to drink. It wasn't just sustaining things. It's more than that. But it can be sustained basic things. The Gentiles seek after these things, he says. The non-believer does. The Father knows what you need. Trust God to give you what you need, is what he's saying. But what you do is seek after the kingdom of God. So here's, here, here's, here's my next question. Am I allowing the culture to dictate whether we seek the Lord? Now, I said this yesterday. I firmly believe this. Oh, by the way, the first time I ever wore my other glasses was, was camp. And somebody hugged me and broke them the other day. Just some dude being aggressive and hugged me tight, just snaps my glasses. So they came out with some new ones. I love it. They snap in the back. Look at that. Isn't that the coolest thing? All right. I forgot what I was saying. I told you I have ADD. No, here's, here's my question or my thought. Am I allowing the culture to dictate my seeking from the Lord? Here's where I think we're really at. I'll just use homosexuality as an example. What's happening now with young people who claim to be Christians is that the reason that you won't say anything about it is because you're embarrassed. You're embarrassed to say what the Bible would say. You don't know what to do with the culture. Now, I'm not saying be mean. My point here is not to be mean. My point is, when the Bible's clear about something, straightforward, and we look at that and we say it's in direct conflict with the culture, then we gotta, we got to answer, does the culture dictate us or does the Scripture dictate? Now, the last thing 
that some of you want to be or to come off as, as if as to come off as a religious person. We've all been standing around with somebody who says, well, you know, she's really religious. Or, you know, he's, he's really religious. He's like into church. And we all cringe when they say that because we know, oh, oh, oh. oh I don't want to be that guy. So are you allowing the culture to dictate whether you seek after the Lord? Here's my last question. Am I allowing my circumstances to dictate whether, we, whether I seek after the Lord? Am I allowing my circumstances to dictate whether I seek after the Lord? All right. I know this is a while back, but things hadn't changed that much. So I'm a senior in high school. I, 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 was, I heard the gospel when I was 13. I, I, I believed the gospel I was, I was not discipled in any way. I was not taught anything, anything, nothing. What I learned between seventh grade and, and or the summer after my seventh grade and, and my senior year, I, I learned on my own. I went to youth camp with this church that I was saved at, all right, saved at Bible school. The next two summers after that, my first exposure to drinking, drugs, alcohol, and sex was at summer camp with the church. This is the kind of liberal place I was at. So I was totally confused. This can't be Christianity. What is this? I go to Wake Forest, which at this time was, was still claimed to be a Baptist school. Okay? They, they've lost that now. So I get there. I get there. I know nobody. I know no Christians. I go to church. I hear the biggest bunch of junk garbage I ever heard. I go to Old Testament. I hear the biggest bunch of junk. I try to go to campus ministries. I couldn't find a Christian anywhere. Now, after Christmas, I finally found a small group, a little group of believers that were actually there. So what happened to me between August and the next January? You ready for this? It may be the largest period of spiritual growth in my life. Now, it's not because of anything about me. God gave me, in that period, the most insatiable desire to know him and to know his word. I was in the desert. I was in a deeply discouraging and lonely place, and his word came alive to me. So I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are in this, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. I say this every, every summer at camp. I want to say it now. Just be honest. Don't be hateful about being honest, but just be honest. So we're about to go to small group. The answer is not Jesus. Jesus. Let's just be honest. They're going to talk about some of these questions. Don't be flipping about it. Don't be rude. But just be honest. And let's pray for one another that God is going to open our eyes to see what we need to see. That's my prayer. So let's pray. Lord, I, I, I plead for these young men and women. God, some of these things are really challenging, deeply challenging to me. Thank you for Psalm 63. Every time I work my way through it, I am deeply challenged to the core of my being.
I just confess right now in front of these young men and women before you the discouragements of ministry and what happens in the church often to my shame dictate my seeking of you. But then you break through. Through your holy word, through times of worship with your people, through the kind rebuke of my wife or my family or other brothers in Christ, you break through. So, Lord, break through. Break through in the hearts and lives of these young men and women here. May they go from not seeking to seeking. And we confess that it will only come from you. Lord, I, I pray we'd throw down some broken cisterns because they don't hold water. And we come to you, the source of living water, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord who saves. Bless now as we sing in Jesus' name.